Hi, I'm Robert Eiler. I played AJ on The Sopranos, and you're listening to Pot of Bing. I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pot of Bing, a podcast that rigorously examines The Sopranos one episode at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. If you love the podcast, this project, and what it's all about, please spread the word. Share this episode or your favorite one with one new person. That's all it takes. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all that shit, at Bing. And if you're up for it, you can support the show by visiting glow.fm slash Bing. To play in the next trivia show for a chance to win swag, guest on the pod, or just secure permanent bragging rights, DM at Bing on Instagram. Got some new pins coming out soon that are really cool. Super excited about them. Finally, as always, thank you for listening and being a part of this journey. Coming up is my conversation with Robert Eiler. He played AJ Soprano on the show. Rob joined me in studio for a wide-ranging conversation about the Sopranos, poker, game theory, Mike Tyson's punch-out, addiction, the Upper East Side circa early 2000s, Rage Against the Machine, the OA, and much more. Also, Rob recently started a new podcast. It's called Pajama Pants, and it's a free-flowing conversation between him, Jamie Lynn Sigler, and their friend, Kasim. Look for it anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. That's all I got. Here's Rob. Enjoy. Rob, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Let's way back machine this for a moment. Where'd you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in New York City. I was born and raised on uh, 83rd Street in Manhattan on the east side. On the east side? Yeah, between 1st uh, and 2nd. Okay. I lived on 95th and 3rd for a little Normandy? while. Normandy? Normandy. Of course. I was I was in there. Dude, I was in there five days a week. How did you never bump into me? So my girlfriend lived in that building. My, really? Who's now my wife. She lived wow. in that building with three other girls. So I spent a whole summer there in 2000. It was right around the fifth season of The Sopranos. Um, Dude, I was there like... You were there? I, I was I was there from f- the age of 14 until probably 19, nonstop. I had friends who lived uh, in, bo- in, in both of them too, not just one of them. So right. either one that There's you were towers. in. I, yeah. So I'll never forget the flooring in that building. The wooden floors were... So, I'm a West Coast guy, so like being in like a New York apartment, yep. the floor paneling is... You're uh, Mark Anthony. What was the doorman's name? Something Anthony. If you say it, I'll know it, but I don't remember it. He was like a black guy with dreads and he was always... Box- he had the boxing gloves. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I know him visually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I also learned for the first time in that building, it was the most amazing thing that you could get McDonald's delivered. Yeah, it's like it was a New like York 999 thing. Fast. Yes. Yeah. And McDonald's... It was like Postmates <laughs> before Postmates, right? right? yeah. You can order McDonald's. They ordered the McDonald's after like a crazy night the next morning. And I was like, I'll go get it. They're like, no, 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 no. It just comes to us. It's insane. Yeah. But now we take it for granted, right? It would have been so crazy if you were you a fan back then? Were you always a fan, or is this? Of I've been a fan. I've been a fan. I came to it late. I moved to the East Coast in 2002 for a job. My cousins lived in New Jersey. I took the train up, not knowing anybody. They had been watching the show as it was airing, and um, I was immediately just 
sucked in by Tony Soprano. Right. And I, they had all the discs at their apartment. When they went to bed, I started watching it that night. I remember. That's how much it kind of like grabbed me by the balls. Yeah. And the rest is history. I'm sitting across the table from you right now, which is surreal. Um, idyllic childhood? Happy childhood? Um, childhood. My childhood is interesting. I, uh, so my parents had me when they were really young. Uh, how young? Like 17, 18. Oh, wow. Okay. I think, I think it was 18. I could probably figure it out. Um, yeah. So, and my dad was like even younger than my mom. Like they were super young and my, my, now I, I spoke to my dad and it was, I think my grandfather was like furious at my dad for getting my mom pregnant and they were just kids like I think about me at 17 or what you probably know better than me what season would that be like season three 17 you season started four. at 14 15 so it was like four or five yeah I, I think about me back then having a kid and I'm like this is the like I don't know how they did it so they um you know back and forth they tried moving to Queens with me and then I ended up uh from what I can remember, a lot of it was living um, with my grandma, probably like four, five, six, like around those years. Also and in the city? in the On 83rd between 1st okay. and 2nd. Yeah. So, um, and you know, they were kids. They tried to move with me to, to Queens and it didn't work out because they were two kids with a, with a kit. Like, I, I mean, I can't imagine how crazy uh, it was. I don't have a ton of memories from then, but my grandmother worked at a school and uh, a really good school in New York City, and she somehow got me into that school. It was PS6. It was a public mm -hmm. school yeah. on uh, Park Avenue. So she worked there, and she figured a way to get me in. So every day she would, like, get me ready for school. She'd take me to school. We went to school together. And, um, you know, the normal crazy stuff of growing up in New York City, you know, had some people in my family with addictions and, you know, the drinking and the drugs and this. And, Were you an uh, only child? I was an only child, and then now my—so my, my, so my mother and father never got married, but now my dad has uh, Michael, Brian, Jeanette, Kevin, so f he has four plus me, and then my mom has Kayla, so it's—there's—I'm one of six now. Are you uh, the oldest? I am the oldest by far, yeah. Are you close with them now? Do you have a relationship with your siblings? Uh, so as I'm getting older and uh, got sober and everything, I'm definitely finding— I'm getting closer with uh, people in my life, and especially them. I've been talking to uh, my brothers and sisters more, and just, you know, it's like when you're in the middle of, like, addiction, you just become very, like, self-centered, and things are about you more. So uh, now that I'm not really struggling with that uh, as much anymore, I guess you're always struggling with it. I think uh, I'm definitely, the relationships are, are growing and getting better, and I'm also, like finding myself caring about people more, you know? So it's like, I want to know, like, hey, are you guys okay? You know, it's like the stuff that your parents did when you were growing up, sure. you know? And I just want to, just want to reach out. You know, I have uh, two of them are away at college. So, you know, I just like to talk to them and know what's going on and just, uh, yeah, it's it's weird. It's like, I've been, I haven't drank in like six or seven years. Like, uh, Congratulations. Thank you. And um, it's crazy how it's just, it's always changing, you know? Every six months, I'm like, oh, shit, here's a new door that's opening in my head where I'm like, I didn't... You know, it's just it's just weird. You, like, uh, you just connect to things more, to people more, to everything, and you're like, you're not... It's Things aren't just things in the way of you getting fucked up, which is what things used to be to me, you know? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. 
if, if, if something was introduced into my life, if it went smooth with everything, great. If it got in the way of like me getting fucked up, I would just push it away to where now it's like, I have to look at myself and be like, oh, well, what can I change about me to make this relationship better? Or how can I, what's my part in making this bad? Where before I never cared, Mm. you know? When did addiction start for you? So were you on the show? Uh, it was probably right before I remember, I mean, I guess it depends, right? There's levels to it where it's like, I think at 12 is when I started like drinking and smoking weed. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, but it's New York city. Like that's kind of what happened, you know, it's like faster. Yeah. It's like we were, my mom was talking about it, how like I was walking to school by myself when I was like eight years old, you know, it's just like, that was what you did. So then it's like. You know, you're outside of school and all of a sudden kids are smoking cigarettes, you know, or they're stealing cigarettes from their parents or this. And then all of a sudden somebody, you're down at the park and someone's like, oh, I have weed and I have this. So uh, I remember drinking and smoking and just, and it was fun. You know, it was a, it was a good time. I was like, oh, I like this. And everybody's drinking and everybody's smoking and we're hanging out. And then as it got worse and worse, uh, you know, I'd probably say, I'd probably say it was somewhere around... So I stopped drinking when I was around 22 or 23 for like almost a year to to stop doing coke because I couldn't stop doing coke. Like I was just every I would be like, I never liked doing coke. I was like, oh, I, I actually don't enjoy it at all. But then every time I got drunk, I would do it, you know, because I'd be like, oh, well, it's a byproduct. I, yeah, it's like I really enjoy uh, drinking for three days straight. And this stuff just, you know, it helps a lot. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, so, so you that, stopped just for that reason. Yeah, because I would be like, I don't want to do coke anymore. And then I would go out and get drunk and somebody would be like, oh, I got coke. Or somebody would just put a bag in my hand. And then all of a sudden I was like, you know, you're just, you're, you're in the mix, you know, you're doing coke. And Did cold turkey work? Uh, 100%, yeah. I stopped whenever that was, 22, 23. I didn't drink for nine months. I didn't touch coke. And then after the nine months, I was like, I'm going to go back to uh, drinking because I missed drinking. And it was still fun at the time. Like it was just like, yeah, it's, you go out, you party, you know. And, uh, what did you miss about it? The social aspect of it or the way it made you feel? Uh, drinking, it was more of like, it was definitely that age, like that, like 22, 23, everyone's kind of like partying and going out. And I was like, what am I going to do? Sit, sit home. Because I, I tried to go out sober and I hated it. You know, I'm like, this is loud music. Cause and, everyone else is drunk. Yeah. And even if they're not drunk, it's like how the people who were enjoying it sober, I was like, what are you, you're nuts. You know, I'm like, people are stepping on my sneakers. There's too many people in here. It's hot. It's this, it's that. So I just, uh, but I missed, I missed a lot about it. I missed, uh, you know, you, things that bother you a lot of times, you get fucked up, but they don't bother you anymore. You mm-hmm. know, you're just kind of like whatever. And also like, um, I think it's like a bonding thing. You know, it's kind of like when you're somewhere abroad and you meet someone who's like from like when you're like, oh, I went, hung out at Normandy, you know, and then like you see you're kind of at a party and you feel awkward. And then all of a sudden you see someone's jaw rocking and you're like, oh, shit, like, you know, you fucking party too. Yeah. Let's, and then all of a sudden, you know, three days later, you're like, you're my fucking best friend. Yeah. Yeah. This and there's just. Uh, they're definitely, you know, there was a lot of good time. I would never want to say like, you know, it's, it's awesome. It's great. But I think like, you know, there are things that I was doing back in the day, like, like mushrooms where it's like, I think if somebody could do that twice a year responsibly and, and enjoy it, it's, I think it's amazing. Like, I just think it's, it's so great to have a different perspective on things and this, but what happened with me was we would have such long periods of time off from Sopranos that in that time, all I would, as soon as they said, like, it's a wrap, you know, we'll see you next season. I would just be like, how hard can I party until we have to work again? Yeah. So it just became like, 
you know, a 22-year-old with nine months to just do nothing but party. And it wasn't like I had unlimited money, but a lot of the places I tended to go, they didn't really make you pay for stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. like, oh, you want to come here? Hang on. They're yeah. drinking for free. And then if I'm not, you know, if, if the the drinks aren't around me, they're around somebody else and somebody else drink for free and you just kind of, you know, and I wasn't really the guy. I remember the first time, like, I ever went out, uh, I was like 17. So I won't say the guy's name. I, I love him. He's a great guy. And he's like, yeah, man, whenever you want to come back, you know, you come back. So the next day, <laughs> the next night I showed up with, I don't know how many, eight, 10, uh, 17 year old guys who, you know, they're, you're a pretty rowdy group. Of and, uh, we showed up to like what at the time was like the best club in New York, you know? And he like pulled me aside. He's like, I'm letting you guys in right now. He's like, don't ever do this again. And I was like, do what? You told me I could come. And he's like, dude, this is not so after that, I just started rolling out alone a lot. You know, like I, I, not that I did it a lot. I definitely had friends who like, it would be like, okay, you know, you're my right hand man. We're always going out together. Or like, it would be like a guy and two girls and we're always going out together. But I had no problem going out alone. Sure. You, know? you lived in the city throughout the whole run of the show. Yeah. And anywhere you went, you were, you were Tony Soprano's son, right? Is that, yeah. is that, this just doors open. For sure. It, it was, doesn't matter uh, age, doesn't matter time, uh, doesn't matter the table. I'm thinking of the Copacabana and Goodfellas, the scene where he walks into the back door, table in the front. Um, yeah, I mean, there were, there were definitely always more famous people than me, so of they course. had the table in the front, but I was always, yeah, through the back door, through the kitchen, whatever you, you know, like I remember there were times where I'd be 17 at a club and the cops would come and they'd hide me in the office, so then like, They'd be like, oh, we don't know how long they're going to be up there. So we'd bring a table down to the office and bring a bottle and drinks. And then all of a sudden there's like 50 people hanging out in the office. Like it was just, you know, it was. Because the cops are in on it too. You're Tony Soprano's son. They, they're hanging out with you. Yeah. Oh, they were, you know, they were, I remember there was one time where I walked out of a club at six, seven in the morning. This place, uh, I could say because it's not open anymore. It's called Show. It was on like 43rd Street and whatever. It was like Times Square. And uh, I walked out of there at like six in the morning with a, with a drink in my hand. I had like a vodka cranberry in my hand. And I remember having a ball, like we were in there listening to music and then, and it was like shut down. It was like an after hour thing. And we, we walk out and I turn and I just see a cop car with two cops standing right there. And I was like, ah, oh. so I take the drink and I put it like on the side of my leg and then I kind of drop it. And at the same time, I kick it into the street and, uh, the cop comes over and he's like, I know who you are. He's like, pick that fucking drink up throw it in the garbage and get out of here. And I was like, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're so lucky. Yeah. I had a similar experience. I was up in Ithaca visiting a friend of mine in Cornell and I had an open container. It's the one time I ever got busted, actually. I'm really kind of a clean as a whistle kind of guy. But I got busted and I he didn't know who I was and I got in trouble and my mom found out and it was a big thing. But the open container, when you're young, man, they can really scare the life out of you. If they take you in, you have to sit, I had to sit in a holding cell for a little while. Yeah. Favorite band growing up? You wore a lot of t-shirts on the show. Was that was some of that you personally? Oh, yeah. That was all, you know, I would show up in like a Pantera shirt or a Slipknot shirt and yeah. then uh you know, a few episodes later I'd be So that wearing, was Rob Eiler. Uh, uh yeah, I just I just think uh you know, like I definitely was like at the time when in the show I was skateboarding and listening to that music. That yeah. was definitely one thing that I feel like uh it was going on in my life at the same time, okay. you know. I don't think there was a lot of stuff like that in the show, but I definitely think uh yeah, I loved uh, like heavy metal. Yeah, growing up, you know, and it's funny because like we talk about how me and Jamie were like going down the same path, but we did such different. We did everything differently, you know. And she got into music, and she like 
was on Good Morning America and, and you know, do it like her single and this. And I had a band with my friends and they, we, we like played a gig and there was like, you know, 30 of our friends. Sure, like I, nobody knew that mm. I had a band. And we just like, it was just funny how in our lives at times we were doing the same things and we just did it like such different ways. Even the way that like she would go out and hang out and party was like so responsible and she had a good time. And I was like the asshole who was like, you know, she would be hitting me up like three days later and I'd be like, yeah, remember when we went out three days ago? I'm, I'm still out, you know? And she's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> this would always be in the off season, right? In between seasons? Uh, well, there would be time where like I didn't have to work for 10 days and yeah. I'd party and everything. But any time that I had to work, I wouldn't drink for at least like three days before. And that was my next question. Like you never let that part of your life bleed into the work. Never. Uh, we actually had this exact conversation on the podcast. Uh, we... I'd say there were two times where, not that it got in the way, but one was my 21st birthday. I went to Vegas and I flew back on a Monday or whatever it was, a Sunday, and we had to work the next day. And I showed up like no voice, throwing up, like really just super hungover. And then there was another time where um, I had to do a scene where it was like a wedding scene with like 300 people. So I literally had to like stand in the back and we were staying in, I think, Long Island for the night. And I got drunk that night and then, like, showed up the next day hungover. But besides that, I never let it get in the way. I was just super, like— What was your regulator? How did you, like, put a stop on it? Was it just respect for the work or was it— Respect for the work, mostly David and the people who were working with, like, Jim and Edie and Jamie. It's like I would never do anything to, yeah, try and disrespect them. And also it was, like, I feel like my attitude of— uh, like my family growing up was very like, if you're lucky and do everything right, you'll get your grandpa's job, which was like, you know, the super of mm-hmm. a, a building or whatever. And somehow like I got this amazing job. I was making a lot of money anywhere I went. It was free drinks. And I was like, I you can't fuck this up. You know, like you just and I would hear stories of like other child actors this and it was like they didn't show up for work and they're showing up and I'm like that's fucking not like I thought I was nuts but then I hear that stuff and I'm like I can't even like the one time I showed up or the two times I showed up just hung over like they stick out so like I remember what people were wearing I remember like like everything about it because I'm like man I felt so shit but the, the 21st birthday everybody totally understood like they were like you fucking that's your hall pass yeah and I had never done you know anything like that but I definitely did have a friend who, like, kept Jaeger in the hair makeup trailer. And, like, as soon as they were, like, cut, you're free, it was, like, bink, 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 you know? Or, like, you know, I would have, like, a joint in my pocket. And as soon as they said, all right, you're done for the night, it was, like, okay, you know? Or whatever, a painkiller, whatever. It was, like, okay, and now it's a good time. But, like, I was, for some reason, you know, my parents definitely raised me right in that way. That it was, like, always respect you know, the work and the people you worked with. And I care, I cared about them so much, you know? Sure. It was never like... Second family. Yeah, and a lot of times, it's funny, because people ask me, like, who's the nicest celebrity you've ever met? And then I say, like, um, like Beth Stern, you know, like Howard Stern's wife. I'm like, she's... The, and they're like, oh, not someone from Sopranos? And I'm like, oh, yeah, they're celebrities, you know? Like, I don't... Because I'm like, yeah, that's Jim and Edie to and you, Jamie. Yeah, I'm like, I would never... Yeah. When you think, who's the nicest celebrity you've ever met? None of them would ever pop into my head, because I'm like... They're not celebrities to you. Yeah, they're my friends. And we're like, Jamie, in general, is the nicest person I've ever met, period. But she she just doesn't pop in there because I'm like, it's Jamie. She's it's like, like my sister. Yeah, she, yeah, it would be like if somebody asked me, who's, you know, the nice person you ever met? And I was like, oh, my sister Jeanette. Like, people would be like, what? Like, you know, they don't know what. Yeah, but, there's so no like, context. Yeah, you just forget. And I think, like, 
people always ask about like the success of the show. And I'm like, I think the fact that there was no huge celebrity in the beginning and the fact that everyone was from New York was just such like a a big thing. Like that we never went to work and it was like, oh, this person is like acting better than anybody else or bigger than anybody else. Or it was like we were a team. We we're always together. Anytime there was a decision to make, everybody got together. They said like, I remember uh, when David wanted to take a year off in between seasons and like he sat us all down in a room and was like, what do you guys think? And I was like, like <laughs> you tell me what to do. You know, you're you're David. You know, whatever you say, I'm I'm doing. And I'm, you tell me to go away for three years and come back. I'm showing up. You tell me you need me next week. I'm showing up. Like it was like, uh, yeah, you know, like you you talked about people coming in here and like airing out dirty laundry and this. It's like if if somebody you know was waterboarding me. It's like there's I, there's nothing. I, I got nothing. You know, I'm just yeah. like I I loved everyone on the show. Everybody always treated me great. Uh, you know, even like HBO was just like, you, when you're when you're like a kid growing up who had nothing, and then all of a sudden like somebody flies you to LA first class. It's like it blew my fucking mind. It's still fucking cool <laughs> to get it comped. Was, it yeah. was yeah, and I was just like this. I can't believe what's going on. Like you know, and just and everyone, David, and the, and it's like. I just, I never felt any sort of, like, look down upon it because, you know, I I think a lot of, the thing I've been thinking about as I get older is, like, a lot of people work their whole lives to get something like Sopranos. Mm. I was a fucking 12-year-old kid. Yeah. Just discovering, like, weed and and drinking and, like, definitely eating way too much and, like, like, I was, like, and I just stepped in shit. How did you get into acting? And how is that a... Is that a bad thing, stepped in shit? I mean, I just no. Got stepping lucky. in shit is good luck. We actually yeah. just talked about it. It's in The Sopranos in season four. Uh, uh, Valentina, Ralphie's girlfriend, makes him step in shit, and they all talk about how it's a good thing. Piomai, right? So, she steps in Piomai <laughs> shit. You know, it's funny. So I did a I did a movie, uh, a super small part in uh, this movie called Daredevil, and I guess I showed up to do looping, and I guess Joe Joey Pants was the person who went uh-huh. before me in looping, and they were like, "Oh, uh, Joey was here, and he left uh, a note for you." And I was like, oh, wow, like, that's really nice. And they slide me over a piece of paper and it said, fuck you with his autograph. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, okay. You know, I was, was, I was laughing so hard. That's awesome. Yeah, he's great. What did you ask? Yeah. How did you get into acting? So you were a kid living with your grandmother and then kind of like bridge the gap. Like, how does The Sopranos happen? What's your origin story for The Sopranos? Uh, as much as you can remember, you were like 13, 14 years old. Yeah. So I think actually when we shot the pilot, I think I was 12. Okay. I think. I'm, I You probably know more than me, but I think it was like 97, 98, right? Yeah. 97 is when the pilot came out. Yeah. So yeah. So I was, I was 12. And, um, you know, I think like when I think about, you know, you do a lot of self-reflecting when you're going through like the whole addiction thing and this, and like, I really think you know, me being on earth is a different thing, but like the, the, I think there's two people responsible for like me sitting here today and being successful and, and okay, or whatever people's idea of success is, whatever. And I think it's, uh, David Chase for sure. And also, uh, my manager who's, his name is Jeff Mitchell. He, he's the guy that helped me set this up. Right. Yeah. So he, uh, I was walking down the street with my dad when I was six years old and he stopped my dad and said, Hey, your son should do commercials. Or TV. He was in the city at that time. Yeah, he was in the city, and uh, he said, "Your son should do to you." And my dad is like, "What the fuck is this guy talking about?" And then, when he went home and gave my mom the card, you know, and told her, "Yeah, like some guy said Robert should be in commercials or whatever," she was like, "Yeah, he should." Like, 
blah, blah, blah. So we started going on auditions, and I booked a bunch of commercials. So he literally saw you on the street. Saw me on the street. And you've been with him ever since. Yeah, I'm, I'm 34 years old now. That's incredible. Yeah, it's been it's incredible loyalty. Years. It must be like a really great relationship. He's unbelievable. And there were, there were definitely times where he hated me, you know, because like not, you know, there might have been one or two instances where I was definitely an asshole, but it was more so just like, where's Rob? You know, and you can't get in touch with me and emails and phone calls and, you know, where the fuck are you? And I just didn't want to deal with it. You know, I just wanted to be my own, do my own selfish, you know, whatever. And, uh, yeah, so I, I started doing commercials. I did like AT&T, Pizza Hut. I did like a bunch, I did like IBM and like all this stuff. And then my grandmother passed away and that's when like my mom took me, she was like, yeah, we need a break from, from like, you know, when you're dealing with like something like that in your family, like my, my grandmother was like the glue that held everything together. And she was gone for somebody to call the next day and be like, yeah, you have a commercial for Cheetos at three. It's like, fuck off. Like, you know, you don't even want to think about that. So we took a break and every couple months he would email, hey, are you, are you interested in getting back in? Are you interested in getting back in? And finally, like, I think I was 11 or 12 and he emailed and he's like, are you interested in, you know, getting back on the, getting back on auditions, everything? We said, yeah. And then I got Sopranos. No shit. Yeah. And the fact that you were Irish, right? You're 100% Irish? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm like Irish, German, whatever. But yeah, mainly. Not Italian. Not at all. Yeah. How zero. did that play? Like, that, what, do you have any insight onto why they chose you as opposed to like all the. Because I'm fucking talented, Vic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, because I think I remember going into the audition and uh, I just, every time I auditioned, David laughed. Okay. Every time. And, uh, and I think that's why he. He picked me, and I do remember, like, being in the audition, there were a lot of kids in, like, leather jackets with slick back hair, like, you know, doing the Sopranos thing, and I was just in there, like, you know. You were a kid. You had no concept of that world, right? Yeah, I, mean, I was, you weren't, you weren't, like, you I hadn't remember, watched The Godfather, you nothing, hadn't watched none of that zero. shit, right? And then I remember we were shooting the pilot, and I remember it was going to be, like, my first summer going to camp, like, a camp that I wanted to sure, go to. yeah. And uh, I remember, like, being in the hair makeup trailer, and James being like, what's wrong with you? Why are you pouting? And I was like, oh, all my friends are at camp, you know, and I'm here with, I didn't say this, but like, in my head, it's like, I'm here with all these adults, you know. Of course, and, who the fuck wants to be, yeah. Yeah, I'm in the middle of Jersey, I'm not, you know, I've never been to Jersey, like, I don't know what's going on, and, uh, yeah, I mean, the rest, I guess, is, is history. I'm happy I didn't go to camp. Of course. Yeah. The rest is history. I just think, uh, kind of like the way I grew up, and the reason why I think I did well at auditions, and, and, you know, even probably got Sopranos, was because I was kind of always like an adult like I was never like you know like I remember seeing Barney on TV and kids watching it and being like what the fuck is wrong with these kids like you know and I was like eight years old <laughs> but uh when you're supposed to love him yeah or just like you or know it. I was I was never uh so I don't really think it affected me because things like prom in my head was always like you know that's stupid or you know any kind of like any but I'm also that way about anything like traditional you know like I watch a lot of shit reality TV and I watch like the one I'm watching now is like 90 Day Fiance, and you see these people like, oh, I'm going to India to meet their parents, and if their parents don't like me, and then you see people, and I'm like, man, this is just so ridiculous to me, you know, like that whole like following tradition thing, and oh, and crazy. people telling you how to do stuff, and I'm yeah. always like, I, I, I can't, I don't, I feel like I'm somebody who like. I think a lot of the times it's messed me up in, in some ways, but it's also been great. Is like I have to touch the fire, you know, when someone's like, that's gonna burn you, like I'm kind of like. All right, but I want to. I want to know. You to know? learn. Like, yeah, like I just. I don't think I learned very well by um, by people telling me uh, things. I think I'm getting better as I get older and listening to certain podcasts about health and and trying to be a healthy person and 
and stuff like that. And then, but obviously it's like, I hear it and then I do it and then I see it works and I'm like, okay, I'm into it. But I think definitely when I was younger, it was like, there were very few people who could tell me, you know, like do this. And I just, I just listened. But I think it's a lot of kids, right? Sure. It's like 16, 17, 18, that whole like, fuck, you know, that's like Rage Against the Machine song. It's like, fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, just yeah. like, that was. Oh my God. Zach De La Roca, man. Legend. The best. The best. Gosh. He, his voice is so signature. Not, he's not doing anything though now, right? It's sort of, uh, they're, they're disbanded. I I Audio heard... Slave, the, the, um, what's the name of the guitarist from Rage? Oh, uh, Tom Morello? Help me out. Yeah, yeah. Tom Morello. Uh, he said hi to my kid on a plane, and my kid was like, whatever. I'm like, no, you have no idea. That's Tom Morello. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's doing stuff, but I haven't heard Zach. I miss that voice. I got to listen to him on the way home today. Yeah. Thanks he's, for— Oh, I bumped that in the gym all the oh, That gets dude, me going. Testify? Yeah. Testify. When I was in college, Testify was what got me from 250 calories in the treadmill to like yeah. 600 calories. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh my God. I love doing that too. I love finding a song and I'll just listen to it over and so over powerful. and over and just so like that, uh, what was it, Calm Like a Bomb, you know? Oh my gosh, yeah, yes. There's so many songs. Do you remember the Crow soundtrack? They did a song on the Crow soundtrack. Uh, it's like a deep cut, Rage deep cut. Um, I don't know the name of it, but check it out. It's like, it's in the Crow soundtrack also has a lot of metal. They have Helmet on there, Pantera's okay. on there. Yeah. It wasn't ever really my thing, but I, they picked really like esoteric songs from their discography. Right. So it's like a, just a well done album. I still listen to that. There's a Cure song on there. So how long ago did you move out here? I'm a California born and raised. So I've been here my whole life. I left uh, for the East Coast because I am the son of Indian immigrants and they wanted me to be a doctor and I didn't want to be a doctor. So I yeah. found a job. Right. Uh, and I, it's the best job I ever took. I met my wife there and it also got me introduced to New Jersey. I don't know if I would ever watch The Sopranos had I not moved to the East Coast and kind of been in, on the NJ Transit uh, right. talking to it's, it's, it's I'm telling you, it's different. It's kind of a bubble out here. Um, but I came back, went to law school in Colorado, and then um, had some jobs within the city for a little while. And my wife and I have been out here since 2008. So and now we have two small kids. And Are there other shows for you now that you feel like you're as obsessed with as this or like close or uh the only thing that could ever come close in terms of intensity and like dedication is mad men yeah which is uh created by matt yeah, weiner who was a david chase understudy so and yeah. we haven't gotten to that season yet but i don't know uh there's something about this show and having not watched it i'm not even gonna waste your time with it but it's like you can uh, I, I, it, I, i've heard so much about it it spoke to me uh on multiple levels um now i'm a father and a lot of what Tony resolves in therapy is stuff about his son. He's worrying about AJ. There's a caption that I just posted on Instagram today, which is him. He starts off, she's like, how are things going? And, and Dr. Melfi says, how are things going? And he just says, my son. And uh, I'm in therapy now, uh, partially because of this podcast. I've been waiting a long time. I have a lot of demons myself, like everybody does, right? Yeah. But I don't want that shit to get on my kids. And I have two yeah. small kids, so I started it. Um, that's why the show's rewatchable. The other aspect of it, um, on a very sort of like technical level, is that the show never happened many times over. But David Chase, what's written and what he said and uh, pieces of interviews here and there, is he just didn't fucking give up. And I love that story of executing on something despite tall odds and then you know being in the business how hard it is for a show to be good after season one right and then to be good after season two and then to become the biggest fucking thing ever and then get like greater become like kobe Bryant in his prime and then it ended on such a high note 
most shows, Game of Thrones is a classic example, which is like the greatest show of all time. The final season was flat. Really? It was like Zach De La Roca with no vocal cords. <laughs> right, okay? Yeah. It's not going to yeah. work. Right. You, the instrumental's not going to work. Yeah. You've got to hear that voice. Right. So um, it's just deep on, on many levels. But I had a question for you. Oh, addiction um, is something that's interesting to me. You mentioned podcasts have gotten you through a lot. I'm going to talk to you about your podcast later on. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else were you addicted to besides alcohol? Was it just alcohol? Uh, no, I definitely, painkillers, uh, was probably, like... What pill? When I, I loved Percocets. Loved. But I think when I... I'm thinking of a future song in my head right now. <laughs> when I, yeah, when I, when I look back, it's like, you know, I, I think about, uh, like, I just, I just don't want to drink anymore, you know? How it's like, I've, I feel like it's, it got to a point that just got so not fun, like, it became like a job, of like, you know, it's like, it's like when, when not even just a job, it became like I was the boss, like running a company where like I was there with like a, a a sheet checking everything like, okay, do we have this? Is this okay? Like just making sure like every, nothing would get in the way of me getting fucked up, whether it was, you know, family trying to reach out to me, not having, you know, the, the proper setup to get wasted, not having the drugs, not having the, uh, like making sure you know, would I have people to, when I wanted to party for three days, would, would there be people around? Do I care if there's, it just became so not fun to where, uh, when I look back at painkillers, it's like, man, I wish I could pop a Percocet and watch a movie, you know, but I'm not that, I'm not that, I can't do that, you know. Why'd I have, you get into painkillers? Was it an injury or was it? No, it became, uh, my hangovers got so bad. Okay. That I would wake up and I'd be like, man, I don't want to feel this way anymore. And weed stopped working. So it became like, well, maybe if I take a Percocet, because uh, I had taken painkillers a bunch, but just like, hey, it's fun, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, uh, there came a time where, you know, I, I started just in the morning and I would take, because like, I wasn't really the guy who would like, back to like I was drinking every day yeah. I was the guy who would like binge super hard and then I would go like get into poker for four days or do something else for four days and then binge again and then gotcha. binge again. so like in those four days it kind of became like Percocet was a crutch right and it was like okay so I'm taking you know uh, one three times a day and then all of a sudden it was like well now I want to take one four times a day and then it became and then all of a sudden it was just like fuck this it just gets the it way, gets out of control. The way you described it on your podcast was incredible. The way that it's like you're kind of like you're seeing everything in a car, like yeah. driving at a high speed as opposed to having a chance to slow down and kind right. of like digest things. Um, it was it's an like amazing. If if you walk if you walk by uh, a tragic car accident, it's going to affect you way worse than if you're driving by it. Yeah, you know where like if you're actually seeing the looking at the blood and people crying and this, you're like, wow, this is really affecting me. Where when you're driving by, you're like, what's all this fucking trap? You know, like you just, you just want to get through so that you could, you could keep doing what you were doing. And the feeling of being on a painkiller is that. Yeah. It's more so just like, um, it's just like a blanket of, of fog just over everything and nothing can really, it's, it, it takes like death to get to that like it, it's almost like protecting you from feeling anything also. emotion yeah where it's just like man this horrible thing happened and you're like oh fuck it i got a percocet you know wow. or, or this or whatever where like there's definitely a few things that can break through but it's just like and it's also like you know i i i said this on my podcast too where it's like out of out of the kids who i brought to the each the sopranos premiere 
three of them are dead. So it's like, I know how close it was, you know? I know it wasn't like this thing of like, man, I had a couple of, it's like, it just, it just scares, it scares the shit out of me all the time. Like I think about it now and I think about how it just could have been one night where, you know, by accident I mixed this with this or I didn't realize that this or I took somebody's drink with this in it and it just could have been bang, like mm. you're gone, you know? Mm. And I And I think the reason uh, I was able to get out of it was, you know, like I say, uh, David Chase, like I, I think about him all the time. Cause I'm like, when I was faced with the decision of like, okay, I either need to stop this or things are, you know, I, I felt like honestly, uh, something really bad was going to happen as far as my health. And, uh, I just remember thinking like, man, you made it out of the shit, you know, like you were supposed to at best be a super and you were, uh, you know, a part of what people say is the greatest fucking show of all time. And you got to be around people. I, I think one of the biggest things that, uh, that you get from doing something like this is like getting to be around people who are the best at what they do is, is so life changing because it's just, it's like, I, I feel like growing up in the neighborhood I grew up in, it's like everybody had that attitude of like, man, when can we fucking clock out? You know, it was like, I go to work, fucking pay my bills and I hate it. And that's how I, that's how I grew up. That's still like, there's a huge part of me that still feels that way. And then when you see people who are the best at what they do and it's not because they feel like they, they have to do it or they're looking at the clock or it's like what makes them wake up in the morning. It's just such a like, it's It's not work. Yeah. It's just such an eye opening thing to see people who are fucking incredible at what they do and they love it and they're passionate about it and like you said like it's it's you know they say that thing like find something you love you'll never work a day in your life and this and it's like when you you a lot of people talk about like people love to talk about like billionaires and what they would do if they were a billionaire and and it's like no you don't understand they can't do that it's like they're they fucking eat sleep shit like the way you think about whatever whatever your thing is food sex that they fucking love to work and a lot of people have a trouble grasping that just like I did. So I understand it so well because I'm like, well, this guy has a billion dollars. Why is he at work every day? Like, why, why do you see... There's a great documentary of uh, Bill Gates now on Netflix. Right, how the mind works or whatever? Yeah, he's one of the richest men of all time. Consistently number one, right? Right. But he, there's not an empty time slot on his calendar. Right. He's always working. Yeah. Because it's not work. Yeah. It's pursuit. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to get, and that's the thing, it's like, if I never got out of my cycle or my neighborhood or my this, I don't really know if I ever would have been able to be friends or know anyone who was really like that, who didn't look at work as this thing that I do to pay my bills and I'll do whatever it takes to get the fuck out of there early. I try and do the fucking, like, it it wasn't until I was like 25 years old I heard a story of this guy who like owned a McDonald's and they were like, oh, how did you, uh, how'd you get here? And they were doing some little, like, I forget if it was the, like a 60 minute, whatever it was. And, uh, he's like, well, I was working on the fryer. He's like, and then the guy who was above me, uh, well, didn't show up to work one day. So I got his job cause they knew I was the hardest worker on the, on the fryer. And then I moved up and then I moved up and then I moved up. And he's like, yeah, it took me 12 years to go from the fucking fryer to the, to, to, to owning this McDonald's. And you're just like, wow, this shit really fucking, like, I, I hear, like, Kevin Durant, you know, and when he's like, yeah, you know, people told me just work. You could be anything you want to be. And I'm like, man, I I don't remember that message growing up. Yeah. You know, I don't. And by the way, like, 
I, I don't even know if it's like, like, it sounds weird to say, like, is it the right message to get, like, I don't know, because what if some kid is like, yeah, I want to be a fucking singer, and he's not a good singer, and he devotes his whole life and ruins his life trying to yeah. be in a band. So it's like, you know, I'm sure, I, I'm not a parent, but I'm sure being a parent is one of, like, the hardest fucking jobs in the world and and not making mistakes and not to, but even just, like, it's like, man, what do you, what do you do, you know? Do you tell somebody to... But that encouragement, even if they are not good enough to be Beyonce, yeah, they'll figure that out on their own, right? And they'll be able to still exist in that. Maybe they'll find a job. Maybe they'll become a producer for sure. Maybe yeah. they'll become a, a session musician. Yeah, they'll be on that path. But to not encourage, you kind of just leave a kid to sort of like float in the ether. I think direction is important. Kevin Durant exists because of that motivation, right? Because I mean, he was skinny. Apparently, he wasn't the tallest. Michael Jordan also, right? Michael Jordan got cut from his basketball team three times. Yeah. But somebody in the corner, like Mickey and Rocky, was like, get up, you son of a bitch. You can do this. Yeah. And he gets up, and then look what happens. For who was that fight? Was it Tyson and Buster Douglas? Was it the fight where his, like, I th- I th- was it Buster Douglas where he was just, like, had no shot? And he oh, where Buster Douglas? Oh yeah. yeah, Buster Douglas was the upset. Yeah, and he yeah. said because he had his his mom in his head, like, and he was just like, yeah, I, I can't, I can't hit the fucking ground, I can't get knocked out, like my mom. And the, did you ever crazy. play Mike Tyson's Punch Out? Of course. Yeah, yeah. So I have we have a Nintendo Switch now because my six year old we started to play Mario Kart. Yeah, and you can download all of the old NES games like, right. like a monthly subscription, and they don't have his likeness anymore. It's just called Punch Out because they there was a licensing thing. Yeah. But I started playing it and I and I fought Glass Joe again. Yeah. And I totally went like time portal back to my like early early tens and twelves and elevens. Fucking best. amazing game. A great. Game. Amazing game. Great. Game. There were so there were like remember like. Like Burger Time, you yeah. The, oh, yeah. there were so many games where like I try and find something like NBA Jam. I remember playing NBA Jam every day for yeah, like that game was like awesome. Years, it's still awesome with, yeah. the, with the enlarged heads. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, what's your best Jimmy story? Uh, so I'll just say the one that pops out right when you when you bring him up is um, I just I love to tell the story because it shows what a good guy he is, and people always want to know you know if he was a good guy. Uh. I actually forget if it was after he passed away or when he was still alive, but my manager uh, came to me and was like, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff. He's like, uh, yeah, you know, Jim would call me and ask me about you and tell me not to tell you. So Jim would call my manager and say like, uh, you know, how's Robert doing? How's he doing with his money? Is he making smart investments? Is he is he hanging out with the right crowd? Is he not paying uh uh, really high rent, so that, like, and he would just look out for me, uh, and the best part was, it's like, you know, I was talking to Jamie about this, how there's so much, like, fake bullshit in this, this industry of, like, you know, you see sometimes, like, I don't know, I don't even want to give specifics, but just, I feel like there's a lot of bullshit, obviously, right, Uh, LA, Hollywood, whatever, and it's, like, for him to make my manager swear that he wouldn't tell me was just a thing where, like, when my manager told me that, I was like, wow, because, Cause he would ask me that shit too. Like he would ask me like, you know, how are you doing? Are you hanging out with the right people? This, but he just wanted to like double check and make sure. And besides my manager, there's no one who ever knew that he was doing it. He was just doing it because that was Jim. Like he was the best. Did he tell you after he passed away? Did he tell That's you? I can't remember. I can't, I know I know definitely the show was over, but I I think it might have been, no I think it might have been before uh, he passed away. It's hard to it's hard to remember. But whenever I think about like, especially in Hollywood, there's such a thing of like, 
outwardly showing your support for to being superficiality. Like, yeah, and like I'm th- I'm there for this. I'm there for that. And to really be there without wanting any sort of like recognition or anything, and just really, he was the guy who people say he is. When people say like he was a great guy, he was he was just uh, you know he was a ten out of ten. Where were you and what were you doing when you found out that he passed away? Uh, so I was playing poker. I was living in Vegas. Who called you? Uh, so I don't even know if I could talk about this without getting like whatever, but, uh, so Vince, uh, texted me or no, I think Vince called me and he said it and I think his phone was going crazy and, and just so much was going on. And I remember like sitting back down at the poker table and I remember because my sneakers were off and they were like underneath the table and I remember just sitting there. And, like, nothing hitting me, nothing. And then I looked at my phone, and Jamie texted me. And she just said, I love you. And that was it. Like, I just fucking... I broke down. Like, it was... It was it was really... Uh, it was crazy. There was a good, whatever it was, like, three minutes, maybe, where I just sit there, and I was like... I couldn't wrap my head around, like, what he said. There was also a thing of, like... You know, Facebook was around that time. And I'm like, wait, this could be some fucking... Book. I couldn't imagine... A lot of people say, like, that expression, like, larger than life. And I'm like, that's a fucking stupid thing. But then, yeah, but then you meet someone like Jim, and you're like, oh, this is what that... This me- is what that means. Yeah, and then for him to be gone, like, I just couldn't do it. And then, you know, I, I talk about this with Jamie all the time. It's like, I always, even though Jamie's older than me, like, I look at her as my little sister. So, like, I always want to protect her and be there for her and this. And when she wrote me that... It was just like it was just like I got hit in the chest with a baseball bat. Like I just because you knew how fucking, much it must have been hurting her too. Why well, I, I knew when she said that how like it just it just all hit me like her how real it was everybody everything his family and that and like you know I think about time after and you know my my grandfather passed away and that was definitely the worst thing I I ever went through in my life. But the difference is you know because you know Jim is probably. Uh, second, because my, my grandmother passed away when I was really young, and I don't really remember that very well. But Jim was probably, you know, the hard, the second hardest thing that uh, that I ever went through. And the difference is, when my grandfather passed away, nobody fucking knew. When Jim passed away, everywhere I went, people were coming up to me and saying things, or the, and it was just like, I just, it was, it was, you you couldn't get away from it for one second. You know, there's times where like people pass away, and then like. Three days later, you find yourself, like, laughing for a second, and then you're like, oh, wait, you know, I'm in this horrible time, and, like, you know, life starts kind of coming back to normal, where this, it was like, it was just months and months of, you know, anybody, nobody said, hey, man, I love Sopranos, love you on Sopranos, or, you know, whatever it was, you know, hey, back in the day, it was like, you know, whatever they said, even now, like, oh, AJ, or this, or where's, you know, where's, where's Tony, you know, or all this stuff, and then, like, everybody was just like, and you know what, it's like, I don't even know if it's, like, weird to say, but there were a lot of people who, like, said dumb shit, too, you know? And it was just, like... Like, what do you mean? Like, you know, just people would come up to me and be like, you know, uh... Yeah, like, did you even care that he died? You know, and just, like, weird shit. And you're like, what the f... And you're like, again, you don't want to be a dick because, like, sometimes people aren't even trying to be a dick. They're, They're just, just trying like, to get a response out of you. Yeah, and, like, they were, you know, like, some somebody might be, uh, uh, food shopping and they turn around and they see my face and they're, they're you know, the, before that moment in their life, they never thought, like, what would I say to AJ Soprano if I saw him in the fucking supermarket? And then they see me and they just blurt out, like, 
man, that must have been sad, huh? And like, you just want, like, and by the way, the first time you hear that, you're like, okay, yeah, like, I understand it's a weird thing, whatever, but like, the hundredth time, yeah, you hear someone saying, like, were you sad when this happened? And it's just like, you know, like, I, there was definitely a phase where, like, because I, my whole life, I've tried to, like, I've never said no to somebody to a picture or a this, that, but I definitely think there was a time where I built up resentment towards fans coming up to me, like, like in the, in the time after Jim's passing, because I remember where I was like, you know what, when these people ask now, I'm going to fucking tell them. And people would be like, hey, were, were you, I can't tell you how many people asked if I was sad when he died. Like, I'm talking about in the hundreds. And they, they didn't say it to be a dick. Yeah. So I would say. It's just a thoughtless question. Right, and this was before my grandfather died, so uh, so they would say this is how the interaction would go, and maybe I'm a dick for this. I don't, but it was just it was I was angry, you know. And uh, this interaction would they would put their hand down and shake their hand. They'd be like, "Oh shit, you're on Sopranos, yeah." And they go, "Were you uh, were you sad when that guy died?" And I would shake their hand and I'd go, "Yeah, it was actually the saddest day of my entire life." And then we would just kind of like, it's because I just like I had stops. to, yeah, I just had to like. It was my way of like, without being a dick, letting you know, like, hey, you just did something fucking stupid. Where yeah. it was, it, and it was, you know, maybe it was, maybe it was me being an asshole. Maybe I shouldn't have done it, but it's just like, after thirty people said it to me, I was just like, yeah, you know what? If these people want to fucking know, I'll let them know. Yeah, you know, I'll let them know that it was the fucking worst thing that ever happened to me. You yeah. know, so it's you know, and and I, one of my friends who uh, I don't know how deep you go on the show, but do you know Joe Perino? He, I think he played Arthur Nascarella's son in the show. He, I haven't gotten to his character yet, but I will oh, get okay. to him. Okay, so he's one of my best friends in real life. He's like family. I love I love Joey. And uh, I don't even know if he knows this, but he's the, the one who kind of got me out of that because we were walking in like Little Italy one day and uh, some, we walked through Little Italy and some guy asked me for a, a, a picture and I was standing there, and I, I took the picture, no problem. And then he mentioned Jim, and then he was like, wait, stay here. He was like, my cousin's, like, in the restaurant down the block. I want to go get them. And, like, I saw the way that Joey saw me kind of react to this guy where I was just, like, I, I wasn't being as gracious as I could have been. And smiling. Like, I was like, yeah, okay. Like, you know, like, kind of annoyed. And he didn't, Joey didn't say anything to me. He just looked at me, and I felt the way that he looked at me. And I was like, okay, I got to... I'm never doing this again. Like, I, I have to snap out. Like, it's like a reset of, like, you have to be reminded, hey, you're the fucking kid who was supposed to maybe be a fucking super of a building, you know? And yeah. and you were on the most successful fucking show of of one of the best shows of all time, whatever you can you say it. call it. It's yeah, okay. I don't know. It's the greatest fucking thing on TV ever. <laughs> right. So, uh, so you know, and, and, and I love Joey for never... Uh, saying that to me, but he he's like family to me, and it meant so much to just, when I saw his face, I was like, I'm never letting myself do that again. I'll just fucking, and people say dumb shit, people do whatever, I'll just fucking grin and, and, and bear it, and yeah, you want to go fucking a mile away and get your cousin to come take a picture? Sure. Like, you know, I, I, I make sure I, 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 I want to make sure it never gets away from me how fucking lucky I am. Yeah. No, that's, a, that's an awesome mindset to have, especially the culture that we live in now where people can just be outright hurtful and critical and trying to seek a response that they can make viral or something. You yeah. Know, for have sure. a viral encounter. And then like, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm so not into that whole thing, you know? You're not like, on social media. Is I'm that, on zero social media. Is that strategic or is it, uh, do you have any sort of a philosophy on it? Uh, I just don't like it. Okay. I don't like the person I am on it. I don't like, 
you know, I kind of feel the way about it that I do about like addiction. Like if, if when I was having my drinking problems and everything and you came up to me and were like, man, you fucking drink a lot. I'd be like, yeah, I fucking do. Like, you know, I'm fucking, this is my choice. This is this. We're like, I just can't relate to people who try and pretend like, you know, like sometimes you date a girl and you're like, man, you, you drink. And she's like, no, I had one glass. And you're like, no, you had like four. (laughs) Like, why don't you just say, yeah, I had fucking four. So like, I just see, I hate the thing of social media where people will do the thing of like, well, I, I, I need it for work. And I'm like, you're liking girls asses uh, for fucking three hours. Like, let's say people, I just also think about it of like, what do you mean for work? What the fuck are they doing with it for work? Right. Well, there's, you know, there's marketing. Yeah. There's people who like, you know, certain, uh, you know, actors, like I definitely think there is a thing for that. But if I was like, if you really broke it down, what percentage of the time that you spend on Instagram? Is actually for work, maybe 25%, you know? And I think I got off of it five years ago and I think now people have come around a lot more to, to what it is. And it's kind of a shitty thing where like when I got off of it five years ago, there was very few people who were like, oh, this thing is fucking toxic. Like this, like then it was new and everybody was just like, push, 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 push. wasn't even in the lexicon. Yeah. It was just like push, push, like push, but you know, like, oh my God, people, everybody liked my photo and everybody. And I remember, uh, I was one of the last people to ever get Instagram well, I mean, you know, that's an exaggeration, but I was, out of all my friends, I was certainly the last person to ever get Instagram. And I was on vacation somewhere and somebody's like, oh, we have all these pictures and blah, blah. So I'm like, okay. So I get on Instagram and, uh, I don't know how long I had it for, maybe a year or two years. I don't even know. And, uh, I just remember it changed the way that I, that I thought about things like, Mm. like, uh, Hey, we're, I'm having a good time at this party. How do I fucking let everyone know? And it's like, I don't give, and the truth is, I don't give a fuck about, you know, we talk about this on the, on the podcast too. It's like, it's not that I, I don't care if anyone likes me. That's, that's really what, what it comes down to. It's like, I think there's a thing of like, um, I might have been wrong where I say like, I don't care what people think about me. Cause it's like, you know, if somebody said like, if we left here and you texted Jamie and we're like, wow, he was the rudest guy ever. Like I would want to examine myself and be like, wow, was I was I rude? Am I rude? Am I this? But where like, if some stranger is going to look at me who's never met me and give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down, like it means zero to me. Sure. You're, you're people that you have a connection with, a one-to-one connection with. You take their critique with seriousness, but not, you don't take it personally. Right. And my friends, I probably think even too much of, you know, what they think about. I, I love my friends so much. And, and, but Instagram is a forum for basically the masses to opine on your, what you're presenting in front of them. Right. And if it's like, if it's like, I could tell you one thing I've, I've gotten, I've said this already and I hope it doesn't sound like a douchey thing, but I've gotten really lucky to be around a lot of successful people and also a lot of happy people. And one thing I notice that they don't do is tear people down. Yeah. So it's like when I see somebody who might be tearing me down somewhere or trying to say like, and I didn't even really deal with a lot of that on social media because I was always a private account or whatever. But uh, like I I would never be like, uh, you know, like I, I don't think Tom Hanks is walking around seeing movies and being like, man, you know, that actor sucks, you know, because he's the fucking man and he's a happy dude and he's confident in his, where he's at. And I just don't, I don't really think that happy i've never seen happy successful people try and tear other people down Hmm. so when i see somebody who's like you suck you know i'm like yeah okay like well i don't understand why like if i'm driving by and there's a bus stop and somebody says hey that guy sitting at the bus stop doesn't like you it's like how does that like what's for dinner i don't i don't care and that's the thing it's like i've also 
lived for 34 years, I've met people who love me and I've met people who don't like me. Yeah. So it's like, okay, there's another person who doesn't like me. What am I going to fucking do? Like, right. why, why do I? And I think it might have bothered me more when I was younger if that was the social media time because I didn't want to change back then. I didn't want to be a better person. Like when I was 18, if you would have come to interview me in my fucking little apartment that that when I first moved out, I was like, this is what I want for the rest of my life. I want to sit in this fucking tiny ass apartment with eight of my friends smoking weed and drinking all day. So if somebody said, hey, you suck, it might have made me angry because I was planning on being that dude forever. Yeah. Where now I'm like, man, I hope I'm totally different five years from now and 10 years from now. I just want to like get better, be a better person, be more reliable, be more compassionate, be more. So if somebody's like, Hey, you suck. It's like, yeah, probably, you know, like, yeah, definitely, definitely a, a part of me does like, you're right, sir. You know, like, I, I don't know. I just don't, uh, and I feel like, you know, that's another thing where I talk about maybe some negative things I got from the vibe I got growing up, which is like the work thing or the, this thing. I think this is one of the great things I got from the, 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 uh, growing up and the people I was around, friends, family, whatever it was, was like, fuck them, yeah. you know, of just yeah. that whole, because I know there's, you know, Jamie talks about it, uh, I'm pretty sure openly, right? Yeah, I think she talked about it, but like, you know, her, when she would do like a play and then after she would get off stage and her mom would be like, yeah, did, you know, did they, did they like you? Like, do you think, you know, you did good and this were like, you know, like that what's for dinner thing. Like if I ever, I never really did anything like that when I was growing up, but like, if I did something like that, my parents would be like, all right, where are we going to eat? You know, mm. like, it was like, yeah, you're fucking awesome. What do you want to, you know, there was never any, there was never any pressure, uh, on me to be great also. And maybe that's why I was never really great at anything. Like, I think I was a f fairly good poker player. Maybe, uh, I think I was a shitty actor who got to work with amazing actors, which made me a better actor. Elevated you. Yeah. And, uh, I think by the end, uh, uh, I could hold my own on a lot of sets and then, you know, definitely, uh, coming in at the bottom of the order in, uh, the Sopranos because you're working with the fucking greatest, like to me. Don't undermine yourself, man. Most of your scenes were with the best of the best. Yeah. That's pretty fucking incredible. And the fact that 20 years later, we're still watching the show, people will, there are critics about who had what role on the show and who was the most important. You were a part of that family. You were in the, on that table and you were throwing lines back and forth with the best. So that's like saying, what's the worst Sopranos episode? The response that I've got, that, that I give to that is, well, the worst Sopranos episode is still the best episode of any other episode on TV. So, right. uh, don't discount yourself you, because it's, uh, it was an amazing performance and it's still timeless. You haven't looked at it yet. Um, and I can tell you, I've watched it through three different generations of my life and it's still, uh, as resonant and potent as it was back in the two thousands. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I just think David is a fucking, what's your best David Chase story or moment? Uh, What's my best David Chase story? Hmm. Fuck, I had one and now I forgot it. Oh, oh, I got it. Okay. Uh, I remember, so we had, there's a bunch of like, when you're, when you're doing something like this, there's a bunch of endings, right? It's like, this is the last time you'll work with, you know, the last time you'll see, I remember we were on the stage and they said, ladies and gentlemen, this is the last time this, the family of the Sopranos will ever be together uh, on set, however they worded it or whatever. And it was me, Jamie, 
uh, Edie and Jim and like everybody just like put down what they were doing, clapping and just, we were like hugging and it was, it was definitely an emotional moment. I'm sure Jamie was bawling. She, she cries, <laughs> she cries pretty easy. But, um, uh, so there was one moment where I remember it was the last, I forget if it was the last scene I shot. I think we had to like make something up from, from episode before or something, but, uh, we had to shoot a scene where, uh, I know it's going to be wrong if, if I say, but it was, I, whatever it was, we were in a car and I remember there was like a back row of seats and I think there was something in between. And I remember they were like, all right, that's a wrap on, on Robert Eiler, like for good, you know, like this is the last time you're, you're going to be on set and this is your last day of work. And everybody started clapping. And I remember David was in the back row of seats and instead of just getting out of the car, he like climbed over the the back row of seats and like came out of the trunk and just like gave me a hug and he was like you know he just said some really nice words and and uh he's just he's awesome and I also you know what's a funny story is like I always I never really had that whole like uh you know uh oh the boss kind of thing like it was always like David David's great you know and David and I feel like that might be because always in the back of my head was like the reason I got this was David, which I'm sure it was the same for everybody. But I just know that like when he was laughing in that audition, that's what got me the show, you know? And I know like they were probably coming through like, yeah, this kid's done, you know, three years on television and I'm coming in like, you know, a little Irish kid. And he's like, no, we're going to do it. You know, we're going to. Do you remember what you said? It was no fucking ZD. I knew it. Yeah, I knew yeah. it. I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to take the line from you. Yeah, but I was like, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And he and he laughed every time. And they'd bring me back in and he would laugh. And they'd bring me back. And that's what and So that's, what? No fucking ZD now? Yeah. And that that's another thing that like people love to like you know, obviously people say good things to you about the show, bad things about it. And I'm sure like out in the fucking internet that I I don't really fuck with, there's a lot of like from back in the day, I'm sure nobody even talks about now, but like, you know, oh you suck, AJ sucks this, and it's like I remember I did an interview for uh, one of the books of that were about Sopranos or whatever, and I was like, you know, at least once, twice, three times a season, I would just want to fucking smack AJ in the face and and just fucking ri- like, or I'd read the pages and be like, this fucking pussy, or this fucking get your shit together, you know, mm. and like, uh, so like, I, the funny thing is, people would tell me that thinking like it was an insult to me. And I'd be like, yeah, I know. Like, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm with you. Like, yeah. he's fucking the worst. Like, yeah. And, uh, and I remember David uh, telling me that he thought that that was his favorite line in the book. That it was like, uh, uh, yeah, like, I just want to Your reach. anecdote. Yeah, I forget yeah. if I said, like, I just want to reach through the screen and smack AJ. Or mm. I just want to reach through the pages and smack AJ in the face and this and whatever. And, it's, and then he always said, it's funny because he always wrote... AJ and when people would shit on AJ he'd be like I don't know why everybody hates him <laughs> you know like he like, you know he had a place in his heart for AJ where most people were just like man stop fucking getting in Tony's way you know yeah well what he is 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 Tony 2.0 yeah and if you watch the show enough that's exactly what uh, Tony's trying to avoid and it's he calls it that putrid rotten fucking soprano gene it's a line it goes back to his mother i'm gonna ask you about her in a moment but that's what it's all about that's why aj was what he was because it was he was looking at himself tony was looking at himself um i'm gonna say a name tell me what comes to mind it can be a word it can be a sentence nothing long like a lightning round type thing david chase best james gandolfini fuck i can't say the best again huh (laughs) he's uh he's just uh, I mean, I just, I'm, I miss, I miss him. Edie Falco. 
she's uh, man she i mean uh, i how come they didn't give her an oscar for tv that's what i want to know give her a fucking break all the rules uh, nominate her for fucking every award and, and you know she's a mom now and has kids but when she started that show she didn't she wasn't a mom and how she played a mom was fucking unbelievable like how even like the little things she would do and like you know just like if i was making something in the kitchen like rubbing her hand on my back or just like grab you know like pinching the side of my face or like brushing something off my shirt it was like holy shit like she's it would it gives me chills cuz i'm like she was so so good so she's and it's crazy how like she's not the thing that people talk about the most when you know like we just did an hour interview and now Edie comes up where she's like the fuck she's unbelievable she really is it's giving me chills just hearing you say that because a she wasn't a mother like you said but she portrayed one so well um but also that the way you're describing these little details that's what we look at on the show on the podcast with a fine-tooth comb the details are so fucking intentional yeah you know it's brilliant and she would come into the room like clicking her her nails like she always had these fake nails and it was just so she said in an interview that I never really became Carmela or felt like Carmela until the nails were on. Right, yeah. And she would be every, you know, tap to tap to tap to tap. And, she, and you know, sometimes you'd walk onto set and that's what you'd hear. You know, it was like, we're not now. And I walk into a poker room and you hear the chips. You think of like, her. Yeah, you just hear like, you know, Edie's nails uh, click. But she is, I mean, I can't, I, like when, you know, I, I love, uh, I watch that, uh, the, pizza review all the time from uh, Barstool Sports. Mm. You know those guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're always rating pizza and they're like, you can't give a pizza a 10 because what if a better pizza comes along? And I'm like, Edie's a 10. I don't care. Like, there's no, I can't imagine somebody, I can't imagine how she could have been better. She was just fucking unbelievable seeing everything she did. Like, and then I didn't watch the show. You brought it up. But you do, you see like, uh, scenes in certain places, but also at the premiere, they make us watch the first episode of every season or sometimes the first two episodes of every season. So you do get to see people work and you just watch and seeing Edie is just fucking otherworldly. Unbelievable what she does. I mean, she's, and, and forget about the acting. She's also just a great person. She's, uh, she's, she's amazing. Two sidebars. One, what's your favorite pizza? What is a 10 for you? Well, now in the city. I'm trying to. Well, I, I fuck every place else. Just talk about the city. I do love Joe's. Okay. Uh, I love the little pepperonis, Prince Street pizza. Okay. I love that kind of thing. But now, like, I'm trying to be healthier in my life, so I try and look for like you know once a month, man, get a fucking pizza. Well, that's what I'm saying. I try. I do, but I try and look for like organic dough, yeah. and you know, I try and yeah. do like the responsible pizza. And there's this place called. Uh, it's like the the black sheep, or like so, which is interesting for AJ, right? <laughs> it's uh. <laughs> Uh, oh, it's called PN Woodfire Grill in New York City. Okay. And it's like a healthier kind of thing, and all the dough is fresh, and the ingredients are, like, organic and responsibly sourced in this. And I know I probably sound like an asshole talking about this stuff, but this is what I'm what I'm into now. And We're they, in L.A., man. It's all good. And right. You're, and you're in your 30s, and you want to live to be 30 more years yeah, of Yeah, but we're talking on a Sopranos fucking podcast. There, there's, you know. <laughs> That's I don't a good th- point. Yeah, th- this isn't getting bumped at the farm, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this, this isn't the fucking car on the Jersey Turnpike, I'm sure. Um, second sidebar, we mentioning this interview. I feel like if we do, we have to do a part two of this and it has to be For in sure. a Normandy courtyard. Yeah. Okay. I'm in, yeah. <laughs> we'll mic up. We'll tell, we'll get them to give us one of the ground floor mezzanine levels Yeah, and we'll do it. Uh, Jamie Lynn Sigler, a thing or two you can say about her. People ask me like, who's the nicest celebrity you've ever met? And just like, 
the nicest person I've ever met in my life is Jamie. And it's just, I've known her for 22 years. I've never seen her do anything wrong. I've never seen, you know, and like, you're around somebody a lot when you're working and she's young and, and this, and it's just like, man, every you're better and better. And she's an amazing mom. She's an amazing wife. She's just, she's, you know, if I, if I ever, I don't know if I'm going to have children, but if I had a daughter that turned out like Jamie, it'd be like, like that would, that makes me think now, like, yeah, I should have kids. You know, if I could be like, Oh, go spend time with aunt Jamie, you know, try and fucking be like her, not like me, you know? Cause she's just, I mean, the sweetest, and it's all genuine and she's she cares so much about other people and the and it even stood out more to me when i was going through my time where i didn't you know when i was mm-hmm. 16 17 and just partying and she was like the nicest you know she's like an angel she's she's incredible well it's the highest compliment to say that you would want a kid to be like her so i'm sure yeah. she's going to love hearing that uh finally nancy marchand yeah what can you say about her she was incredible. I mean, she was, um... What makes you think you're so fucking special? Yeah, she, uh... I don't even know that line, but I'm sure she said it to me or yeah, Tony. Yeah, that's or, why or to I brought me. it up. You had, <laughs> you had some great exchanges with her. Yeah, you know what's weird is, like, I remember, uh, Nancy, but I don't really remember, uh, the character was Livia. But mm-hmm. I don't I don't really remember, like, working with Livia in scenes and this, but I do remember, like, Nancy outside of it and just... Was she a presence? A lot of people talk about her after the fact. Like, you talk about when James Gandolfini walks into a room, he sucks the oxygen out. Was it a similar thing with her? She, I mean, so much so that I remember James got nominated for some kind of award that was out here in L.A. And we were always, like, New York-based. And he called me up and he's like, hey, do you want to go accept this award for me? And I was like, if that's what you want me to do. Like, you know, Jim could have been like, hey, there's a fucking body in the tree. And I'd be like, all right, I guess this is what you're supposed to do, you know? And, uh... He asked me if I would go accept the award for him. And I said, of course. And uh, I said, what do you want me to say? And I went to fucking grab for a pen and paper. And he's like, you say whatever you want. Just make sure you say it's dedicated to Nancy. And I was like, okay. So my dad tells me, I don't remember this so well. uh, But my dad said, like, we were in a fucking room full of celebrities. And it was like this show, that show, L.A., Westwood, you know, Martin Sheet, whoever. Like, everybody's there. And he's like, you just fucking got up like you were, you know, the quarterback at the fucking high school and they gave you a fucking award and you just held it up and you were like, yeah, this is for Nancy. And you just fucking walked off. That's that's gangster. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, that sounds, you know, it's it's crazy to think like of the shit that I was doing uh, back then. It's just it's it's not because it's like I said, like in my head, it's like you cross your fingers and you become a super. And it's like somehow I got on this fucking show and and. More importantly, like, it got me around these people where it's like, yeah. uh, on, what's today? Wednesday? Yes, yeah. On Saturday, I was at dinner with Drea and, uh, I'm, have you heard of stories about Ginger? Who yes. Ginger she was, a, she was, I would love to bet. interview her, by the way. You have to, she's yeah. unbelievable. She's, uh, she like ran the fucking show. Yeah, uh, I've uh, heard that. And yeah. I've also, she's also worked on a bunch of other productions as well. I want to get a compare and contrast from her. Oh, there's no way she'll say anything is better than this. If it is, <laughs> we're, we're editing it out. Yeah. But she's, uh, so we went to dinner together and just being around Drea and, and her kids. And right away you sit at the table, it's like, oh, say hi to Uncle Rob. And it's like, there's this family bond that, and you know, like, like, uh, on the podcast that I'm doing, there's a third person in the podcast and they don't know anything about Sopranos. And they're like, wow, it really, you guys really are like a fucking family, huh? Mm. And it's like, 
It's yeah. uh, it's it's not superficial. We were talking about yeah. like all the Hollywood fake shit, um, and I can actually say that comfortably. The seventy-seven interviews in, um, there is a common thread that is that is connecting all of you guys, and it's really special to be able to experience it and share it with you guys. Um, talk a little about the final episode behind the scenes from your perspective, feelings, emotions. Were you ready to be done? Uh, were you thinking about what's next? Uh, you know, what's, you know, what's funny. It's kind of like, I never really thought about it. It's almost like I have friends who will like meet a girl and the girl doesn't like them. And then they're like, Oh, I'm going to do this or show up at her house or buy her flowers and this where I'm like, Oh, if a girl doesn't like me, I'm just like, why would I want her to like me a month from now? Like she, uh, I, I don't know. Like I like to have that, 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 that initial feeling. And mm. then, so like when, when I heard this is the last season in my head, it was just like, okay. You know, like that's same mindset. Yeah. It was just like, okay, like where this, this is the end of this. And you know, I knew, I didn't really feel like it was the end. Cause we also have all the award shows afterwards. And those for me was my favorite part of Sopranos. Like when we would all get flown out to LA, we'd all stay in the same hotel. We'd all travel together to the award shows. We'd all sit together at the award. Like it was, and you guys were the kingpins, by the way. You were the bell of the ball, so to speak. Yeah. So it was like it was like imagine getting to go with twenty people who are some of your greatest friends, yeah. and oh, and by the way, like you're at the fucking Emmy Awards or yeah. this, which is like, it's I you know I talked enough about how I grew up in this and what my friends were like in this, and it's it's not my scene, you know. So mm. like, if somebody told me, you know, I've been invited to a lot of things to be like. Uh, hey, do you want to present at this thing? And I'm like, why would I want to go there? But it's like, if you said, hey, everyone from Sopranos is going to do this fucking uh, present at the Emmys, it's like, I can't fuck. Like, we did the 20th anniversary and it was uh, instant. It was like, oh, th these people are going to, yeah, of whatever. Like, yeah. it's, wh what do I have to do? What do I have to wear? How do I get, like, I don't care. Where if somebody said like, hey, you know, do you want to be interviewed on Entertainment Tonight about it being 20 years celebrity? It's like, I mean, a celebration of, of Sopranos. It's like, why? I, uh, why would I? Do? But like, when we're all together, it's like... It's different. Yeah, it's a family reunion. It's friends. It's 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 every... And there's also uh, a weird thing of like, these guys for four or five years or so looked at me as the kid. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I was 19, 20, 21, and I was older and I was at the bar and they all, it was like, okay, well now we're, you know, Rob's at the bar drinking. What are we going to do? Tell him not to, to drink. He's, you know, we're in LA, he's 18. It's a, whatever. And, uh, that, that's interesting because, mm. you know, there were times where they, you know, sometimes it was like, wait, you're the fucking kid. I'd be like, oh, I'm 22, you no, know, like, yeah. let's go to the time fucking, goes on. Right? Yeah. And yeah. let's, and, but they, they were amazing at it. They did it just right. And, and, you know, Jim was that half friend, half fatherly, so lucky. Yeah, it, it was it was unbelievable and he was just everybody, everybody. It's it's crazy. What are your thoughts on the ending? Did you see the final episode? Uh no, so I was at uh uh my friends, my friends Mark and Eugene had a club in in the Hamptons. Okay. And they were like, "Hey, come out for the weekend, blah blah." blah. And then they realized that it was the Sopranos and so they're like, "We're going to put a um uh, projector outside. So like 30 people come sit outside, Sick. watch it. And I was like, all right, I'll just hang inside or I'll sit in my room or I'll, I'll do whatever. I'll make food. I'm, I'm not going to watch it. Why didn't you want to watch it? 
I just, you know, it's like that whole like hearing your voice on an answering machine kind okay. of thing. And then like times a million. It really because, is as basic as that. Yeah. It's like every, and then it's like not only that, but like everybody's watching it. And then if like you did a scene where you're like, oh, I thought I did a good take, but they used a different take or, the, and it's not like, listen, uh, the people who did Sopranos were the best at what they do. They know better than me. So I'm sure they did use the right take, but in your head, it's just, I, I would never sit down, watch an episode and just smile and walk away and be like, yeah, that was great because I'm just, I have all these it's just a weird, it's like, like really hearing yourself on an answering machine and then knowing like, oh, 20 million people are going to listen to this. And ju I just, I'd rather not, you know? Okay. And, uh, so I was, I was inside and then mm. the projector didn't like stopped working or whatever. So they moved everyone from inside uh, from outside of the house, inside the house, and I stayed, uh, I went outside, and there was one of my friends was out there, and they didn't watch Sopranos, so I'm like, yeah, we just, we just sat out there and, like, smoked a joint and talked and whatever, and, um, I remember, it sounds like a fucking fake thing, but I remember, like, hearing, like, what the fuck just happened? Like, you know, and all of them, and I was like, oh, I know what happened, you know? Like, I was like, I remember. Yeah, yeah, okay. I remember David, uh, I, you know, sometimes, like, it's been 10 years, so there's, or 12 years, I guess, since this, but, like, trying to remember the exact encounter is, is tough, but I remember David telling me something. That like, it's I remember, gonna be... Yeah, of, like, how it was gonna happen, or, well, and then, like, I remember hearing interviews of everybody after, and they were like, yeah, no, like, a lot of people who were like, yeah, we weren't sure, we didn't know, and I'm like, are they, did David not tell them, or are they You're just the first messing around? That I've, that I've talked to. And I just, and I think maybe he told me because he knew that I didn't care, and I wouldn't go, like, like, I wouldn't go tell one of my friends, like, I know how it's gonna it end. It wouldn't be a publicity thing. Yeah, because I'm not, like, I don't even know what the, I don't even know if the screen going black was suspenseful, because I don't even know what's going on in the show, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I don't even know, it's not like he pulled me aside to be like, Here's, I want to tell you the thing, but I forget where we we're just sitting somewhere. And I remember him telling me, and then I didn't think it was a big deal until after. And I remember people saying like, yeah, no, he didn't, he didn't tell us or people who didn't know and this. And I was like, oh, I remember sitting on a, on somewhere and him just like mentioning it. Did you know about the journey song that he was going to use the song? Yeah. Because I remember Jim was pissed, uh, uh, when that came out. Cause I'm, cause I, he I wanted a, a different song. No, he just he just read the last thing and he's like she's like this song like you know like he was like he wasn't actually pissed but he's he was just he was like this is how we're going to end this you know like yeah. that. and I remember because I was a huge journey fan and I loved it and I was like oh like I didn't I don't even know how in my head I'm like I don't know how this goes to the story I don't know what it means I don't know I just know like don't stop believing is going to be on as the end of the show that's dope like yeah. I love that of course and uh, and I had literally been like I had gone to, like, I love Journey so much that, like, I had been at Journey concerts. Like, I was full on. Like, I, I, I dig Journey. And, uh... I'm trying to get Steve Perry to do this. Really? To talk about the use of the show. And, like, he hasn't said yes yet, but I'm going to keep trying. Yeah, I just think, I'm sure, you know, Jim would have rather it end on something a little... More. A little rougher or something. I, I don't know. I just remember he wasn't happy, and I was, like, super... I was, I was stoked. I was like, I love this. Yeah. You know? Well, it was suspenseful as fuck, man. That's yeah. That's the genius of it. And maybe one day you'll see it. Um... Post-Sopranos, you touched on it briefly. Post-Sopranos, you got into gambling. Um, I, I read somewhere that you, you won't call yourself a professional, so I'm going to say semi-professional. How'd that happen? Like, why'd you stop acting, and how did gambling come into your life? So, I don't think that's not how it, it happened to me. You know, like, I feel like acting, it's not something like a sport where I have to be like, okay, I'm hanging up the jersey, and I could do, you know, like, if, if somebody came to me tomorrow and said, hey, we want you to do this thing, and it's uh, your friends, and then, and it was like, and I was interested, I could just say yeah, and then all of a sudden, 
we're back in the game. You yeah. know, like where you're doing it. But and I never thought about it like I'm gonna stop, whatever. I just I was twenty twenty something. I so uh, the way it started was I went to a poker place where there was a bunch of people who play poker all the time and I played and I felt like I was good, if not better than seven of the people at the table of nine. And uh I remember talking about it with somebody in my family and they were like, yeah, well, your grandma used to play cards with you when she would babysit you all the time. So like the way that people don't remember learning like their ABCs, it's like, I don't remember learning how to play cards or just, you know, like some people are like, wait, what's better, a straight or a flush or what's higher or this? Like in my head, I'm like, oh, it's just all there. You mm-hmm. know, like I get, and the only thing I was kind of good at in school was math. So it's pretty easy to uh, figure out the percentages and stuff once you start playing. But I went to... Uh, I remember I got really heavy into online uh, poker. And I, and by the way... That was prime time for it too, by the way. Yeah. I remember like my last year of law school, 06, 07, 08. Yeah, uh, full tilt poker and yeah, poker stars. Yeah, it was major. And, I, knew, yeah. I knew people in law school that were financing their education with online poker. Yeah. I just couldn't fucking figure it out. So it was like I would sit there and just take painkillers for like three days and then I'd like play poker, play poker, play poker. And then it would be like on the fourth day, somebody would hit me up like, hey, we're going out for blah, blah, blah's birthday. And I'd be like, okay, and then just go out. But it was kind of like, a hobby, and I remember when I was, I don't know how old I was, but uh, I went to Vegas to play in the World Series of Poker, mm. and uh, there was like 7,000 people, and I got like 275th, and they gave me a check for like $42,000, and I was like, okay, so I took that, I put it in the bank, and I told my manager, like, I'm going to get uh, an apartment out here, and just let me know when th- this month, like, I'm going to play poker with this. And I'm going to get this apartment with this money. And as soon as it's gone, I'll just go home. Like, and I'll pretend like I never had it. You know, it's so a... So you won't touch your principal. Right. I'm like, this Tony is Soprano a... would have been very proud. Right. So yeah. I, you know, I came out here for however long, two weeks. I made this money in five days. I'm yeah. like, I'm just going to go. This is my dream. This I, is your I, house money. Yeah. And I'm like, this is my dream to see if I could really become a professional poker player. Uh, so I started just playing a, a ton of poker. I moved out there alone. I stayed with the bag I had that I went for two weeks with. And I was just like, fuck it. I'm not, I'm not going home. So I stayed out there for a year. Uh, went back to New York and I kind of was on and off of it. And then this kid came out who started explaining like GTO, which is like game theory, optimal way to, to play poker. And he started putting videos on YouTube and that got me, uh, back into poker. So I moved back to Vegas to play. And I just realized that being sober and spending eight hours a day with seven strangers sitting at a table, was it's just not, uh, something that I really want to do with my life. So I, I, cause back when I used to take pills and drink and everything, it was like, who cares who I'm sitting next to? Where now I'm like, now you're more aware of it. Yeah. And I'm sensitive to it. So I just called up Jamie and, uh, I was like, oh, do you want to start a podcast? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, all right, I'll move to LA. So were you listening to podcasts in Vegas? Like how, where did the idea Always. for a podcast come I from? I loved, I, lo- I mean, Joe Rogan, okay. you know, love Joe Rogan. He's a guy who definitely helped me get through the addiction part. And- Have you tried the toad? He's talking oh, no. about no, okay. I, I won't do any drugs anymore. Him like, and Tyson, the Tyson episode is a good one if you haven't listened yeah. to it. They were talking about this thing called the toad. I know about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. So you haven't because Tony does peyote in yeah. the show. Right. And um they actually I don't know if they described the they made an analog comparison to peyote, but he has talked about peyote in the past as well. So you're done. You're clean hundred percent. Uh, I'll smoke weed okay. because I, I was never like a an addicted to weed kind of thing. Like I could smoke weed right now with you and then not smoke weed for four days. And I don't even notice. It like, doesn't, yeah, you don't Yeah, like it. I just don't. Ha- and it's also like, sometimes it's great if somebody's like, hey, you want to go to the Balva's birthday party? And I'm like, man, I haven't seen them in 
a few years. I don't want to go, but you know what? Like I'll, we'll stand outside and I'll smoke a joint and, and we'll kind of, cause I'm just, I don't really like, I love going to dinner with like three people, but once there's like 20, 30 people in a room, I just kind of, with music and I just kind of am at the point where I'm like I used to enjoy this drinking and, and I don't anymore at all it's mm. just something that I have to face and it's like there's times where it's like I want to stop by and show support for somebody for a half hour and so like yeah smoke a joint and chill and whatever but uh I think once you're once you're really addicted to something it's easy to tell what you're addicted to and what you're not yeah you know like there's times where I look back and I'm like I smoked cigarettes for fucking you know uh, 20 years almost and in my head I'm like was I addicted to cigarettes like I don't even know because once you get grasped by something like Xanax or fucking Percocets you're like oh this is what being addicted like cigarettes you could let go but Percocets you couldn't well it's like uh, yes I'm addicted to cigarettes but if somebody put me in a room for fucking six hours with no cigarettes guess what I'm just not gonna smoke a cigarette like people all the time are like I'm addicted to cigarettes yeah they get on a plane for fucking 20 hours they don't smoke a cigarette and they're fine you know so it's Mm. like and People have different ideas of what addiction is. I'm not saying that nobody's addicted to cigarettes. Obviously, I get the thing. But what I'm saying is for me, it's like stuff like that became almost like laughable compared to when you're addicted to something like Xanax. It's like, holy shit. Like this is your entire life. You cannot live without this thing. That's the feeling. Where with cigarettes, it's like, yeah, I like to smoke cigarettes, you know? Mm. So trying to compare when, like, I remember Ozzy Osbourne was like, yeah, uh, yeah, I've done every drug in the world. The most addictive thing is, is cigarettes. He's like, that's why I, I can't. But I understand also if you can't shake cigarettes because it's like, it's everywhere, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not going to walk outside and see somebody eating Percocets. No. But I'll see somebody fucking smoking a cigarette. More so it's accessible. a constant reminder and you could buy it at the store and this. So it's like, and also somebody has one in their hand. You just grab it and it's easy to like slip, you know, you slip up real easy. But uh, yeah, I just, I I don't imagine myself ever getting back into any sort of, drug it's or, a great place to be man yeah congratulations are you a drinker or nothing everything i drink i'm i'm very good though like I, I nurse them i'm a scotch neat guy and i'll hold it i had a like i was at a table with a bunch of people uh this past weekend that were just going through them but i just keep mine you know and i'll i'll try i'll dabble with anything right um but i don't have i kind of now also have the fear of being a father in my head yeah like i you know it's, i'm never gonna let myself get to a certain point um, but I drank, you know, back in the Normandy days, there yeah. was some heavy, there was some drunken stupor going on For over sure. there. We were man. probably walking right by each other in the and lobby never and just known. both wasted. And I was probably screaming something about how amazing the Sopranos was. Right. And you were probably right. rolling your eyes like yeah. this fucking guy. I was probably rolling my balls off, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck rolling my eyes, but yeah. <laughs> um, back to poker for a second. What was your game? What was your, like, what's your... No Limit Texas Hold'em. Okay. Yeah. And give me a primer on that. A quick 101. What are some keys to becoming successful? Uh, you know, it's like a lot of stuff. It's the the discipline, it's the studying, it's the, a lot of, there's, there's people who are the most amazing poker players in the world who are fucking broke and people make fun of them because they just don't have bankroll management. So that's a really big deal of being able to know like, Hey, I'm the best in the world. So I should go play in this game where it costs a hundred thousand dollars to get in. And I only have $150,000. It's like, well, then you're, you might be very good at the game, but as a whole, people argue what is poker, right? Is it just sitting down at the table, playing in that hand, or is it the entire lifestyle? Is What it, is poker? Right. Well, I, that's the thing. I don't know. It's like, is it is it just sitting at the table? Like, let's say somebody plays at a, a smaller game, but makes more money than somebody else at a bigger game. It's like, because some people are better at bankroll management. Some people will put more hours in. Some, so there's some people who will say, if you want to take up poker as a profession... This guy's the best. But if you just want to be a fucking crazy, go with your gut, 
whatever kind of guy, this is the best. So there's all these different kind of, like, I listen to a lot of podcasts on poker and, like, super boring shit to where, luckily, Nerdy I don't have stuff, a girlfriend right? or she would kill me. Yeah. yeah. Like, like all, like... Theory. Yeah, statistics, and math, and frequencies, and this, shit and this is, is awesome. what you want to do. Yeah, yeah and, it's, and I just fucking... And I love it, but I'm definitely coming to a point in my life where I don't want to do something that's so selfish and kind of like, it's very like, it's me against the world in poker where it's like when you have a good day, there's no one to talk to and you have a bad day, there's no one to talk to. So I kind of, I want to do something where I feel more, um, fulfillment with other people, you know? And, and, and I don't know. I just think my time in poker and it's, and it's, it's really, it's going to be really cool for me to just have poker as a hobby now, you know? Cause I do love watching, Study, you know, I'm like a member of an academy to, you know, like I, I pay monthly to like be like, yeah, you know, cause I love the, I just, I really enjoy it, but you I don't moved, want it to define you. Right. When I moved to Vegas to strictly play poker and you have a bad month or a bad two months, all of a sudden, like I just, I let it become too much of me where like I was bummed out I'd, and like I would look in the fucking mirror and be like, besides a relationship or fucking poker right now, everything in my life is great, but I just... I would be miserable walking around for a full month all Do the time. You fear, did you fear relapse? Oh, no. Never. Okay. I, I don't... You know what's funny? I was never the guy who uh, was drinking... Uh, you know, like, I, I know you'd, you'd go to, like... Like, bad things would happen uh, in my life, whether it was my friends, my family, this, and I knew I would see people who gravitated then towards drugs and alcohol where I was the opposite. Like, as soon as something bad happens in my life, I push all that shit like, especially drinking. Like, I definitely, like, rely on painkillers and stuff like that for bad things. But, like, if something bad happened to me, to then go get drunk, I'd be like, oh, this is just going to get worse. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I always, I was never uh, that guy. I was more like, we're out at the fucking Emmys. We just won Best Show. We just, th- let's get as fucked up as possible because this, ha- like, you don't want to stop that. You, you Trajectory. Know, yeah, and Edie, we talk about Edie. Edie was amazing at, like, You'd see her at those parties for fucking 10 minutes and she'd give her hugs and kisses and just, you know, go. And then she was a super, like, responsible in this where uh, I wish I could have been more. But it's it's that thing, again, of, like, touching the fire, right? Like, I'm happy I did all the things I did because now when I finally do meet a girl and I want I think about getting married or this, like I could openly tell her, hey, I don't have any thoughts of what would it be like to fucking move to Vegas and party for a year? What would it be like to do? Like, I... I I've done it all, and I know what I want, which mm. is this now. I want this sober, calm, introspective, relaxed, yeah, like relaxing life. I want, and I want to keep getting better at being a, a friend and a and a family member and a this and uh, poker is a chapter in your life. Yeah, poker is definitely, and it's and it's my favorite thing about poker is. You know, we talked about how there's, like, that, like, tear-you-down, like, thing in Hollywood now where people just want to fucking attack people. And you said this fucking 10 years ago. And and it's just, like, I love knowing in the back of my head, no matter what happens, I can go to the lowest poker game in uh, the casino, and I could easily make $30 an hour. And I have that in the back of my head always. So it's, like, when I worry of, like, you know, when I'm talking about stuff like being a fucking drug addict or or whatever I went through, if it's like, well, what if people look at you and, and they don't want to listen to you or they uh, people don't support you? And so then I'm like, oh, right, well, then I got poker, you know? And, and, and yeah, if that's but- the worst thing, like, I'm sure I will enjoy 
uh, poker, even though I don't enjoy it, I'll still enjoy it more than a lot of people who are out there doing fucking jobs they hate for less money. Thousand percent. Yeah. So it's yeah. like I, I just I love having that. It's almost like option. Yeah. It's almost like having like a, a you know I never had anybody rich in my family. It's almost like the feel I would guess of like having somebody rich in your family where it's like okay, if worst case scenario. If, if coming out here doesn't work, if this doesn't work, I could always go to fucking Uncle Poker, you know? It's like I could go back and I could... And I don't want to, again, because I just, I just don't... I think you... I think the world we live in today is there's a lot more people changing their career paths and, and oh, I was doing this and now I'm moving on to this and the internet helps with that and that. So it's like... I'm a lawyer and now I'm hosting a podcast <laughs> where I'm talking to Rob Eiler. Right, So you, yeah. can, you can fucking pivot, man. Right. It's okay to be different. Yeah. And, and that's... Not, not fit a mold. For sure. And I think it's so funny because you don't want people to put you in a, in that mold. But then also sometimes I could, f- I find myself like listening to Howard Stern and he'll be making fun of somebody doing something and I'm laughing where really I'm like, oh wait, that's exi-. like people w- and it, maybe it's the reason I did well for a while too back in the day is like people would see me at a poker table and like lick their fucking lips and be like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to fucking get this kid. And there were definitely games I played in where, uh, so you hustled uh, them. No, I just think people came to that, yeah. that I, you know, like, it's like they now. They didn't take you seriously. It's like when I see an 80-year-old guy at the poker table, you know, I'm like, oh, there's no way this guy knows fucking GTA. Right. Like, this guy's playing how he played when he was, you know, 50, yeah. you know? So it's like, okay, great. And then there's some of those guys who fucking knock your socks off and do some shit where you're like, oh, man, like, I, I'm, I'm the idiot. Like, I, I just underestimated this guy or whatever. And uh, I also think before a lot of this GTO and, like, computer way of playing poker came out. What is GTO again? Game Theory Optimal. Okay. So it's like, uh, before all this stuff came out, it was easier to be good at poker. And I uh, did not have a job. So I put all of my hours into poker. So naturally, I just would play at low-level games and I would be better than a lot of the people there because they had a family or they were like you. They were a lawyer who was coming to Vegas for the weekend and and I would have friends come to visit me in Vegas and they all did the same thing. They brought an amount they were willing to lose. That's what everybody did in Vegas. Right. You know, like, right. hey, I'm, and there's a lot of times where like people would be like, oh, you must have made a killing playing poker. And it's like, well, what I would do is I would make a, a good amount of decent amount of money playing poker sometimes. And then at the end of the year at the World Series of Poker, you take a shot, you know, like you're like, I'm like, I'm lucky. I have some money in the bank. I don't need this you know, $6,000 to, to pay my bills. So I'm going to take the shot where when you play a cash game in poker, if you buy in for $1,000, you're expected to win, you know, $600, $500, whatever. When you go to the World Series of Poker and you buy in for $1,000, first place is like a million dollars. It's like a, it's literally a dream, you mm-hmm. know? It's like 10,000 people put in this money and, and I had a shot this fucking year. Like I blew it and it was, it was, dev- and I think it's, the main reason why I, I'm struggling to to enjoy poker now because I, I had a shot at a million dollars and I fucking blew it. And there was, there was I forget the number, if it was like 6,000 people in a tournament and there were 60 people left and I was in it and it was the World Series of Poker and it was a fucking huge shot. Like we were already guaranteed like $15,000 and it was a huge spot to where if I could outlast 50 more people, you're getting $100,000. Yeah. Which, you know, I know people think like, I, I'm rich or something, but I'm not. Like, $100,000 is life. It's real money to anybody. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing, you know? And uh, I'm sure somebody spoke about it on this show before, but uh, with On Demand, we don't really get residuals. Yeah. You know? And I'm not complaining. I've said this is the best job ever. This I'm just giving a fact of, you know, people think, 
I make all this, all this money and I'm, I'm killing it where it's like, no, I don't even get health insurance, uh, anymore because we're out of SAG and I'm again, I don't want people to think I'm complaining. I am nothing but grateful. You're being real. Yeah. I'm just letting, yeah. you know, so like if I did win first place a million dollars, forget it about how that's life changing. But even like if I got eighth place and I was on a final table and you're on ESPN and this, like it, it would have been life changing. Mm. And with 60 people left, I, uh. I made a mistake and it fucking, it's just like now, it's like every time I put my ass in a fucking poker seat, a you poker table, it's just like, man, I can't, I can't believe you did that. But what happens is at the World Series of Poker, like if you play a cash game, you go play for two hours and you could leave, you know, you go play for three hours or whatever. When you're playing in the World Series of Poker, you show up at 11 a.m., they let you out at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. or whatever, and you're playing from the time you sit down to the time you're done, except for uh, they give you a dinner break. Hmm. And they give you, like, bathroom breaks. So you're sitting there for however long. Let's say uh, 14 hours, 15 hours playing poker. You would then leave there, and you try and go home and go to sleep, but you can't because you're pumped because you made day two of a poker tournament. You, you get very little sleep. You show up the next day, and you do it again, 14 hours playing poker. And it's just it's constant math and, and decisions and trying to read people and not making mistakes. And What was your mistake? Ugh. Don't make me do it. Fuck! I could fucking do this forever. By the way, I'm hey, me too. Five I more minutes. Shit. Yeah, that's why. You, I, please tell me you'll come back. Of course. Yeah. Okay. And that, this is why I moved here. Like I found that this is. I haven't had passion for a lot. Uh, I feel like in my life where like I started doing something and I was like I love it. And I did my friend's podcast in New York, and uh, he told my my friend asked him who actually I hadn't spoken to my friend in three years and I saw my friend on the street and they were like oh you did Will's podcast he said you were the best one he did and like. He did a bunch of You're famous a natural, people. By the way. Remember, thank you. Absolutely. And he, uh, he, t- like, like Will saying that to me would be like, yeah, of course, everyone's gonna say that. But him telling someone else, and they saw me on the street, and they told me, I was like, oh wow, that makes me feel good. You yeah. know, like I, that's awesome. So I'm gonna uh, put you on blast. What was your poker mistake? So I, a guy raised in uh, like middle position, and then I'm big blind. And the person who's to my right is small blind. And I thought I saw the, the keep in mind, this is on day three, uh, hour, this is an hour before the end of the day. So hour 13 or 14, and I'm on two, three hours of sleep every night. And I'm um, sitting there and I thought I saw him fold his hand, but he actually like moved his arm up and threw chips in to call the raise. And I looked down at a hand where, I definitely would have squeezed. This is boring shit, probably. I would have squeezed and raised if I knew that he called and there was more dead money in the pot. But I just thought it was that guy raising. And I had a big hand, which is pocket tens. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a hand where I, I, a lot of the times I'm raising, but I just got moved to this table. And this guy had a lot of chips. And I'm like, I don't want to raise this guy. And then he jammed and I have to fold tens at, at this point. It's, it's very annoying. So I just call and the flop comes queen, 10, six, uh, all spades. And uh, they both flopped a flush, and I flopped three of a kind, and we all got it all in on the flop three-way. So if the board pairs, I'm chip leader of the tournament going into uh, day four with, like, 50-something people left, and first place is a million dollars. And instead, I was out. One day, you're going to have to explain that to me in English. Yeah. (laughs) But whatever you said was fucking awesome. Okay? I'm going to... I'm going to finish this up with a lightning round. Yeah. And by lightning round, I mean lightning. So short, quick answers. This is going to be an opportunity for listeners to- We know this is what I suck at, know. go ahead. Rob Eiler. No, no. Again, we're going to do part two for sure. Last good book you read? Uh, the Four Agreements. Oh, it's a fucking great book. Great do you know book. The Four Agreements off the top of your head? 
Always be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personal. And then the other two. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> the I first one is super important. Always be impeccable with your word. I think that one, if you can conquer that one, it'll take you far in life. And you know what's funny? I feel like, as I spoke about the book a lot with friends, and like, people take a lot from that one, where that was the one I didn't take a lot from, because I don't have a fucking boss. I don't have a wife. I don't. Good so point, good point. I don't have to lie to anybody, you know? It's kind of like when people ask me, hey, where were you? I'm like, yeah, I was fucking drinking for three days. I'll like, be impeccable a, with my word, motherfucker. Yeah, like, I'm a fucking, I'm a loser. Like, you know, <laughs> whatever. So it was, that one was easy for me. It was uh, the other stuff. What were the other two? Do you remember? I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, um, which is also not a great thing if, the, if you can't remember the fucking four agreements. And <laughs> right. <laughs> we, need yeah. to, we need to clean the brain <laughs> a little bad. bit. Um, what are you watching right now? Uh, so I just watched that Roger Ailes thing on Showtime, okay. The Loudest Voice. Yeah. It's fucking great. Yeah. Wow. What are you into in general? Like, what's your fucking, like, like you didn't watch the greatest show on TV ever. What is the greatest <laughs> show on TV in your opinion? Like, what is, what is, what does it for you? Uh, the OA on Netflix. True story. On my way home every day, there's a woman that has a sign outside of Netflix saying, save the OA. I, would, I will go join her. Drop me I'll off take, there. I'll take a picture yeah. and I'll text it to you. Drop me off with her. She has been standing there for, not kidding, two months. I'm convinced now that she's being paid because there's no fucking way she's doing this for free. I love it's her. It's propaganda, but she's, she stands there every day with a smile, save the OA. That was a great series. Best, the, the first season is the best season of any show I've ever seen. Wow, see, that's that passion that you have is the passion that I have for The Sopranos. Right, yeah. And, and, and I only watched it maybe three times. I'm sure you watch Sopranos more, right? Many, many, many times. Yeah. Favorite music at the moment? Uh, I'm into more like kind of chill shit now or just whatever gets me going in the gym. You know, like you said, what am I into? Now my life, uh, a lot of it is, go you know, if I go to the gym four days a week, I feel like a loser. And if I go five, I feel like I'm a fucking professional athlete. Okay. Like that's how I feel. Like I, I you have a trainer or are you doing it yourself? No, I just do it on my own. And cause I don't really like to schedule, uh, like, Hey, I meet you at three o'clock. Cause then I feel pressured of like, I gotta be there at three and right. I don't want to go. Like I like doing it on my own. Keep it loose. Time. And, uh, What's one track on your gym playlist? Uh, so there's a re like if you really want to get get in the the Panda remix by T Pain. Okay. When I'm going to do like a big kind of like I really I got to put all of my my effort into uh, a lift or something like that. The Panda remix by T Pain gets me every time. Like I usually play that right before I jump up and do pull ups. Are you doing free weights? Yeah. Okay. Free weights. I do my friend actually right across the street. My friend has a boxing place, Rumble. Yeah. You know that place? Yeah, West Hollywood, right here. So the guys yeah. who I talked about, Mark and Eugene, who had the house in the Hamptons, yeah. my buddy Eugene actually- uh the co-founder? Started that, yeah. No shit! Yeah, so he, so I go there uh, a bunch. Uh, I was going to the one in New York a lot, yeah. like, like four or five days a week when I was there. This one I've only been to a couple times, but uh, I love that. I love, I really into, uh, I love the boxing thing. He's got a good thing boxing going Boxing is there. awesome. I'm a huge Rocky fan, so. Yeah. He's a, Sly's an investor, or they give him equity or something. Exactly, yeah. Uh, most treasured possession from the show? Nothing. Jamie. Oh, great answer. <laughs> great fucking answer, man. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. Favorite breakfast? I don't eat breakfast. I'm all, I wake up, I go to the gym, and then I eat, like, uh, chicken salad usually. Okay. Not, not like, mayonnaise chicken salad. I eat, like, grilled chicken on a nice, like, mixed greens, vinaigrette kind of thing. You know, again, right across the street, you know, sweet green? Yep. Bang. Uh, you're in L.A. now, so it's an appropriate question. Favorite tea? Oh, what? No tea? Mr. T? I you haven't know. been here. You haven't been here long enough. Okay, <laughs> no, I'm have, not a fucking... Part two will have that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, finally, tell me about your podcast. You told me about the genesis of it. 
Who's it with? What's it about? And what is your sort of vision for it? So uh, it's called Pajama Pants. And I think that should help people kind of understand, like, there's not, it's not very structured. It's not, uh, there's not going to be like, hey, this week we're talking about this. It's kind of like me, Jamie Lynn, and uh, my other friend, Kasim, sit around a table and we just talk for... Uh, the first one we did was an hour and a half because we just actually it was like even a little more. Than first an hour ones and a half. always run long because you're feeling it out, right? And yeah. I hadn't seen Jamie in a couple months, so yeah. we're catching up. And it's also a thing of like, I'm not like you saw how I was on this podcast, and I'm even you know I just met you for the first time even over there. I'm even more like I'm in fucking pajamas, just spilling it and telling all, and not telling other people's stories, just telling mine and where I've been out in my life where this, but also like Jamie is fucking great on it she's so funny and like i there's nobody i would want to work with more than her like trying to figure out something that i wanted to do and jamie's involved it's like i feel like i fucking hit the lottery and then my other friend Cassim is a friend who i met actually uh when i spent some time out in la and he was in kind of like the beginning of like the youtube days and he had a youtube channel and i think he kind of like I don't know. He just veered away from that uh, eventually, and he—he's a comedian, though, right? Yeah, he's a comedian, and he had uh, issues with uh, drinking and stuff like that. And when we were spending time together, I think they were kind of like plateauing. And I think I just, you know, we had some talks about it and whatever. And then he kind of like hit me up a couple months later, and he's like, "Hey, man, I'm getting sober," and this, and we stayed really close. And to me, he's one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. Like. He makes me laugh like very few people do. And um, that natural chemistry at the table is so important. Yeah. You feel like it's there? I do this for a living. I make shows for other people. We make shows for companies and for brands and for talent. And uh, the number one thing that I say to anybody that I talk to about doing a podcast or starting one um, is it's got to be authentic. Yeah. If it's fucking fake, people are going to check the fuck out. And I can tell you with the standing ovation that it was authentic. Um, Thank you. And continue that. Just continue. Whatever well you guys start digging, just keep fucking going down it. And if you think that listeners don't think it's interesting, most people that are listening to podcasts, you yourself are one. Um, The number one thing that I want out of a podcast is deep. I want to go a mile wide, but I also want to go a mile deep. Yeah. Most people go a mile wide, an inch deep. Yeah. But with the podcast, you can go a mile wide and a mile deep. And from what I heard you did and, um, and also the thing that like, I wanted to make sure that we could do is like, we can fucking sit there in fucking pajamas and talk about anything. And then if, you know, a couple days later we say, you know what? I don't think I should have said that or whatever. You can I, take it out. We can take it out. But I think being able to be in that room and talk about everything. Cause there's sometimes where you're like, oh, I shouldn't talk about that. But then you're like, oh, actually I feel so much fucking better. Yeah. You know, having talked about that or whatever. And like we've done, so we've recorded five episodes so far. And, um, and we've only edited out one thing and it was where I told a story. You're going to tell me what you edited out. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> of course. Uh, it, well, because we left a story in, but it was just, I told a story of a girl who, uh, put her tongue in my ass and I, I said the name of the bar that she worked at. Okay. And I didn't want that poor girl having the reputation of like all of her friends are like, Hey, you're the fucking kid who ate AJ's ass. So mm-hmm. we, we bleeped her the bar that she worked at out and that's, it's been five episodes and there's been nothing else. And we definitely talk about, uh, everything. And you're releasing it weekly. Uh, yeah. It's going to be every Monday on iTunes and wherever else I guess people can get. Everywhere. Uh, we're, 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 we're 10 days in, so I'm not, I'm not going to be good at promoting it or no, whatever. That's nice. but it's no, just... we'll, we'll, anywhere you can find podcasts, I'll make sure I drop a link to it in the show notes. Thank you. Rob, 
Thank you so much, Rob. Yeah, thank you so much.